John Ortberg in his book, God is Closer Than You Think. I don't know if any of you have read that one. Um, it's a great book. It says that the primary and most used promise of the Bible is not, I forgive you, although that promise is there. It is not the promise of life after death, although that is offered as well. The most frequent promise in the Bible is, I will be with you. God's greatest desires for relationship. Even Jesus was named Emmanuel, God is with us. The greatest promise, the most often repeated promise in the Bible is I will be with you. God has determined that you should be in every respect his friend, his companion, and his dwelling place. The presence of God is the most needed thing in our lives. It's the thing that I pray for most on Sunday morning when we meet together, is that the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, manifest presence of God would be in this place. In chapter 7 of Romans, which we're just walking through the book of Romans, Paul tells us about the struggle between the old creature and the new creation. We've covered that for a couple of weeks now. He declares and identifies with us that despite our best intentions, we struggle and we fail and we live as we know we shouldn't even though our desires are to do exactly what God wants us to do. We want to do right, but we do the very thing we don't want to do. Last week, I talked about the shift in Paul's letter from the struggle with sin to the victory that he declares in chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation is not about freedom to live as we choose. It is rather freedom to live in the Spirit of God, controlled, empowered, guided by the Holy Spirit, to live literally connected to God. Paul continues that idea in our passage this morning. I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 8. So we're just walking through Romans chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 5, Romans chapter 8, and I want to read this morning out of the NIV, the New International Version. This is what it says, starting in verse 5 of Romans chapter 8. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the na that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. Basically, Paul is trying to communicate one message here. There are two ways that you can live your life. You can live life with your mind set on the things of this world, or you can live with your mind set on the things of the Spirit. One of those choices leads to death. The other leads to life. All of this seems to be pretty basic and pretty obvious to us, though, right? Of course, we would all choose life. That's what we did, right, everybody? Some of you didn't. Okay. We'll talk. 
We all chose life, right? Okay, we chose life. I mean, let's be real. Who really wants to choose death? Nobody in their right mind goes there, right? Literally, you would be in your wrong mind if you, if you went there. We're all about living life. Jesus promised not just life eternal, but abundant life. That's what we'd like. Living large, being more than conquerors, being victors, being overcomers, right? Doesn't that sound good? Sounds good to me. We're new creatures in Christ. Something that offers, among other things, a life of peace beyond understanding, contentment in every situation, hope that is living, and a joy that is inexpressible and glorious. That's what the abundant life looks like. If you thought that the abundant life had to do with changing your circumstances, making you rich, or anything like that, you missed the whole point. The abundant life is about peace. It is about rest. It is about contentment in the hard places. It is about living in joy. It is about living victorious and glorious. But let's be real. Our lives on a daily basis, do they really look like that? For most, if not all of us, the reality of our life is, well, something less, something that falls short of what sounds abundant. There's this gap between the life that is promised and the life that many of us actually experience. I want to talk about this. I want to talk about what's holding us back and what needs to happen to actually be overcomers that we're supposed to be, that we were promised we would be. But before we go there, let's, let's stop and pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word. Jesus, I want to thank you for your death and your resurrection, the things that, that lead us, guide us, empower us, and enable us to live a life free, free from the slavery of sin, and free to be slaves to righteousness, free to live a life that is not just pleasing to you, Father God, but is abundant and free to us. It's an incredible promise. Father, I don't want to see any of us fall short of that. So I pray that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The gap. The gap that exists between the promise of an abundant life, I'm talking about that life of incredible peace, joy, rest, passionate love with Jesus, the gap that exists between the two of those, where we're at, where we daily live, and, and what we know is the more that we're not yet experiencing. We know that that promise exists, and the reality seems, unfortunately, all too elusive in our lives at times. It almost seems unattainable. People devise different ways to close the gap. Some people do it with the I'll-try-harder approach. They try to close the gap on their own power, in their own strength. They get up earlier. They pray longer. They read another book or two or three. If you ever run out of books, you know, to read, call me. I got lots. They listen to another tape. They tune into Christian radio. They go find sermons online. They decide to be more disciplined to serve more, to work harder, to be nicer to the people in their life. And they try, and they fail. 
and they try again. Then there's other people that, that use the fake it till you make it approach. I love that one. They pretend, they pretend that there is no gap. They act and talk to, as if they're living the abundant life, but they know they're not. And they find out in very short order that this faking the abundant life is kind of like a hungry person sitting down at a table pretending that they're eating. It just doesn't satisfy. It doesn't do anything for the hunger. You just live in illusion. Then there's people who take the musical church approach. I've always been fond of this one. You know what musical chairs are that children play, right? People that go this direction are probably those who are so frustrated with their own failures that they play the blaming game. And it's the only way that they know that they can find relief, or at least that's how they try to find relief. So they blame their less-than-abundant-life church experience for the church that they're attending, and they think, well, if I just went to another church, a church that did things differently, then this gap in my life would close. But they don't realize that the gap is not in the church, it's in them. Folks, the truth is that working harder, pretending, changing churches never, ever closes the gap. Eventually, most people give up because after a while, the gap is just too painful to face. And we settle for what Chuck Swindoll wrote an entire book about called Mediocrity. We settle for a life of mediocrity instead of a life of abundance. We get tired about hearing about living a new life, having a living hope, existing in inexpressible joy and glorious joy. It's, it's just not a reality. And because it's not, discouragement sets in, and the discouragement's painful. And we begin to wonder, is the abundant life even possible? Okay, how many are willing to be honest? Have you ever wondered that question? I have. Yeah, I have. I was wondering that question last week, you know? Is the abundant life really, really possible? I admit that I can go there. Sometimes I can feel like an old pair of leather shoes, dried up and worn out. If I find myself asking Jesus, where is this abundance? Where is this flowing river that you said would spring up inside of me. Remember in, in John chapter 7, Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Anybody uh, want some more streams of living water? I could sure use some. But there's this gap between the promised new life and the reality of the mediocrity that I sometimes live in. But here's the deal. Because you are a believer, what Melissa was talking about this morning in her communion meditation, because you are a believer, you are a saint. Because you are a saint, you have this promise. He who believes in me, streams of living water will flow from within him. There is a river, folks, that is supposed to flow through your life. And by the way, you are not a reservoir. I just I want to throw that out there, okay? This is, this is not about collecting the Holy Spirit. A river runs through it, 
Remember the movie? A river runs through it? Okay. A river runs through, a river's supposed to run through you. It's supposed to flow out of you as it goes through you. It refreshes you. It empowers you. It strengthens you. But it doesn't stop there because if it stops there, it stagnates. And you know what stagnant water is? It's dead water. A river is supposed to run through us. A river of God's grace, God's power, God's provision. The river is the very Spirit of God, His Holy Spirit. Get this. The Spirit of God is like a river, and He is supposed to be flowing all the time, literally all the time. And your job as a believer in Jesus is to not try harder, run faster, get up earlier, pretend like everything's okay, or try to get to another church. Instead, your job is to simply jump in the river. You know that song we sing? Okay. To have a ring kind of a bell, doesn't it? Yeah. Jump in the river. We're supposed to jump in the river. We're supposed to enjoy the river that's supposedly running through us, the Holy Spirit. Your job is to figure out from moment to moment how to move in the flow of the waves of the Spirit so that He can carry you to a new, better life, an abundant life. That's that's what Paul is really talking about here in this passage. Verse 5, those who live according to the sinful nature, well, they have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those that live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of a sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. You ever noticed a river cutting through the country? You, you'll always tell where they are, even if you can't see the water. Why? Because there's life along the riverbanks. There's always trees and stuff growing along the riverbanks. A river brings life. The Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. But those controlled by the Spirit of God have life. To close the gap between our present reality and the amazing promise of an abundant life in Christ, the promise that we've been given by the Holy Spirit, that is the question. And I think the question that needs to be answered this morning is a really, really practical one for us. How do I access the river? How do I get wet and stay wet? Let's talk about closing the gap. We're going to look at the primary place where the river of living water is flowing, where the Spirit of God intersects with our lives. Paul talks about this intersection in our passage. In Romans chapter 7, he talks about the gap between reality and the promised life, between the things he wants to do and the things he actually does. Then in chapter 8, he talks about how to bridge the gap, the place where the living waters of the Spirit intersect with your life and your mind, or and my life, is your mind. This is the direction of Paul's letter. He'll eventually talk about the renewing of the mind. We'll get there eventually, in another month or two or three, I don't know. Today I want to talk about how to have a mind that becomes a place where the rivers of God can flow and take us to a new life. And I want to do that by making some observations first about our minds. Let me say that, you know, I got a lot of help in this area from a book by John Ortberg that I opened with, God is Closer Than You Think. I have several of John's books. I think he's one of the most practical Christian writers 
that exists today. If you want practicality, if you want things that apply to your life in the nasty now and now, boy, John is great. He's not a theorist. He's not going to go cerebral on you. And he's not going to get all heady about things. He just gets really practical about life. He's a great teacher. So I encourage you, anytime you want to read a, a book, remember that name, John Ortberg. John said some really cool things, and I kind of drew from that on this, this whole idea. The first thing is the mind. The mind that God gave you is a mind that is always flowing. Your mind has thoughts that just never cease. It's never still. It's always going somewhere. It's always thinking about something. Point in case. You know, right now you're sitting in your chair and maybe you're taking notes, maybe you're not, but you, you look down at your paper, right? And you notice your hands and then you think, oh, look at my nails. <laughs> I'm still biting my nails or my nails need new polish or, or whatever, you know? I hope nobody sees them. And these thoughts, they just, they just keep flowing and you go from one thing to the next. I bit my nails at work this week because I think my boss has ticked at me, and, you know, I'm kind of worried about that. But you know what? He kind of ticks me off, too. And uh, on Monday, I ought to go, and I ought to tell him what I think. Yeah, yeah, I ought to really, that would be fun to let him have it. I, I still need to drop a few pounds, though. Let me think about that. Maybe I'll try the carb diet again. It didn't work so good last time, but it could work. Uh, look at that couple sitting in front of me. They're holding hands. Man, why don't I ever hold the hands with my spouse anymore? They look happier than me. I think their marriage may be better than mine. Well, there's that guy up on stage again. He's talking again. What did he say? He just said the word but. Did he really say the word but? I think he said the word but. Our minds are constantly flowing. They're constantly... You're laughing because you know you do this. Oh, uh, yeah. You just kind of like you know, squirrely little thoughts that, that take you here and there and your mind is always moving. It's, it's never still. It's always having thoughts, always observations and perceptions and ideas. In fact, you're having them at such a staggering rate that you don't even remember the vast majority of the things that run through your mind. Your mind is a ceaseless, flowing stream out of which, folks, comes your life. Which leads me to my second observation. You are what you think. Psychologist Archibald Hart writes, research has shown that one's thought life influences every aspect of one's being. Get that? Research has shown that one's thought life influences every aspect of one's being. And he's right. Listen, whether you are filled with confidence or fear depends on the kind of thoughts that you allow to occupy your mind on a regular basis. So, Ask yourself the question, what do I mostly think about? I was thinking about this last night, and, 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 and I had this weird idea. I told my wife about it this morning as we were getting ready for church. I just think it would be, it would be really kind of fun, but it would also be kind of eye-opening if we had a party, and I want to call it, what did I call it? What was the name of that thing? A posse party. I want to have a posse party. And, and everybody that comes to the party has to bring a wad of $1 bills, okay? And every time you say anything that is negative, you have to contribute a dollar. Oh, okay. Now you're starting to wonder, do I want to go to this party? 
We'll find some, some really good thing to give that money to, maybe the rescue mission or something like that. But hey, wouldn't it be fun, I mean, just for a couple of hours to be around people that were trying hard to stay positive, to think good thoughts, and to let good thoughts come out of their, their mouth. I think it'd be fun to, to, to at least attempt, okay? And it'd also be fun to, you know, experience the other side when we don't, and we get to, you know, razz one another and all that kind of stuff. I know, it's not. Of course, you'd have to pay for that too, huh? That'd be pretty cool. How we feel about ourselves, the joy we get from living, ultimately depends on how our mind filters and interprets our everyday experiences. Two people suffer from cancer. One becomes bitter and depressed. The other becomes a source of strength and hope to the people around them. Their cancer's the same. The difference is their minds. Two people struggling financially. One of them is consumed with envy and discontent. The other just glows with gratitude and servanthood. Their net worth is the same. The difference is in their minds. Two people are betrayed by someone close to them. One lives a life immersed in anger and malice and hatred, bitterness and revenge, and vows to never get close to anyone like that again. The other has chosen the way of forgiveness, and they live in peace and rest. They've used that experience to build deeper and more godly relationships. The hurt is the same. The difference is in their mind. Understand this, folks. Everything about your life flows out of the way that you think. You know what I'm talking about. This is not a strange thing. You start thinking about angry thoughts, you keep feeding that anger, and before you know it, you've got rage, right? You start thinking depressed thoughts. Nobody cares about me. I'm all alone. It'll never get any better. I can't do anything. I'm no good to anyone. And before you know it, you're on antidepressants. This kind of negative self-talk can be extremely destructive, folks. Get what Paul is talking about. The mind that is set on the things of the Spirit is life and peace. The mind set on the things of this flesh, this life, this world, that is the mind that leads to death. It doesn't just boil down into negative and positive thoughts. I, I, I have no interest in, in being a positive thought preacher, okay? I'm talking about things of God, not just positive thoughts. I met a man this week in the parking lot of Panera, was just going from the men's Bible study to, to grab a sandwich to go home before the youth group started. I've met him before several times. I used to coach tennis, and he was a, a private tennis instructor. And, and he's just, I love him. He's, he's got that British accent. He's so cool, you know. Goes to a, a, a good church here in town, but he was raised in a tradition that is all about the negative. And all he could talk about for the five, ten minutes we spent together in the parking lot was how the world was going to hell in a handbasket. And I kept trying to encourage him, kept trying to turn the conversation into something more positive. Folks, you can choose to live that way, or you can choose to live with the mind of Christ. Remember the story of the Israelites spying out the land? Ten spies go into the land, right? Eight of them come back, and they say, those people are huge, we could never win. 
were like grasshoppers in their sight. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, come back and, and go, oh, we can do this. We can take them. Let's, let's go. What happened to the Israelites? They spent the next 40 years in the wilderness until the generation died out before God would allow them to enter into the promised land. We think, wow, 40 years, that's a really long punishment for negative thoughts. Nah, wasn't really punishment. It was preservation. If they'd have gone into the land thinking that they would lose, they would have lost. They would have been annihilated. They would have been destroyed. God preserved his people by taking them out into the desert for 40 years until the generation of negativity died away. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go 40 years. I'm pretty sure I probably don't have 40 years left. I might. I, I, I could live that long. 40 years in the wilderness was mercy. But it all had to do with their mindset, folks. It all had to do with how they thought. Which brings me to the next thing. What do you think about? What do you expose your mind to the most? makes a difference. Imagine that you were serious about competing in the marathon of the next Olympics. I mean, this goal becomes a consuming passion in your life. How likely would it be that you would go on an all-chocolate diet between now and then? Probably wouldn't work for you too well. Or imagine that you are a brand new parent. Maybe you can think back to when you were a brand new parent. And you've just brought home your newborn child from the hospital. What are the chances that you're going to just grab anything out of the fridge or the pantry to feed that baby? No, not going to happen. Okay, you get the idea. We tend to be very serious about the things we put into our lives the things that matter to us. We're very careful about what we feed our children, our own bodies. We even care about what we feed our pets. So why? Why? I mean, this is amazing. This is so insane to me. Why is it that we really don't pay much mind at all or much attention to what we put into our thinking, what we put into our minds, what we feed our thoughts? Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your affections, for they influence everything else in your life. Another translation of that same verse says, Be careful what you think, because your thoughts run your life. Listen, folks, the material that you read, the music you hear, the images that you watch, the sites that you click on, the conversations you hold, the daydreams that you entertain, they're all shaping your mind, and they will ultimately determine both your character and your destiny. So what's to be done? It's time to get into the flow of what the Holy Spirit is doing in and through you and what he desires to see happen. Your, th your thoughts either open you up or they close you off to the flow of the Spirit. People who study the mind in our day say that every thought comes with a little emotional charge that is either pulling us toward or away from some kind of emotion in our life. Pulled towards sorrow pushes you away from joy. Pulled towards fear 
pushes you away from confidence. Does that make sense? The Apostle Paul knew all about the power of a thought. That's why he, he talks about guarding our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. He wrote nearly 2,000 years ago, the mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. You see what Paul is saying there? He's basically saying that every thought that you have carries kind of a little spiritual charge. Thoughts that are in alignment with the flesh, thoughts that are in opposition to God, they lead to what result? Death. Thoughts that are in alignment with the Spirit lead to life. That's all he's saying is you have to understand your mind causes you to move in a particular direction. If you want to get with the flow, then you need to move with the mind in a particular direction because all thoughts either open us up to the flow of the Spirit or they close us off to that flow. Picture your thoughts like, like a valve in a water line, okay, where you can turn the water on and off. Call that the flow of the Spirit in your life. Thoughts and flow with the Spirit always lead towards hope, never towards despair. If your thoughts are taking you towards despair, then you're not working with the flow of the Spirit. Thoughts that, that flow in the Spirit always lead you toward right living, never towards sin. They're always towards growth, never towards stagnation always towards authentic love, never towards arrogance and self-love. Thoughts in the flow of the Spirit always lead to life. They always lead towards a kingdom kind of perspective. You can choose. You can choose what you want to think about. You can set your mind on the thoughts of the Spirit, or you can set them on the thoughts of the flesh. It really is your choice. It's, it's a simple truth. The control of the consciousness determines the quality of life. That's been known for a very long time. In fact, for as long as human record exists. The great emperor Marcus Aurelius, I, I don't know if you remember that from the gladiator, okay? Marcus Aurelius, if, he said this, if you are pained by external things, it is not they that disturb you, but your own judgment of them. And it is in your power to wipe out that judgment right now. He wasn't even a Christian. He understood this concept. Dallas Willard of the Dallas Theological Seminary says the ultimate freedom we have as human beings is the power to select what we will allow or require our minds to dwell upon. It's your choice. It's so true. There's a battle going on in your mind, and the thief wants us to think thoughts that steal, kill, and destroy life. That's what the enemy wants. The Spirit wants us to think thoughts that lead to life. Each of us needs to figure out which ones we need to listen to. That's why Paul says in, in verse 2 of, of uh, in, in 2 Corinthians verse 10, or chapter 10, verse 5. We are to take every thought captive, make it obedient to Christ. Here's how to do that. I'm going to just do an acrostic. Now, I, I, I put a little thing down at the bottom of your note page, so if you're taking notes, uh, you can fill in the blanks here as we, we kind of go. 
but this is the idea. Just to use uh, mind, the word mind, M-I-N-D, your mind, okay? First, M stands for make a decision to change your exposure. You have to change the things that you expose your mind to if you want to live in the Spirit. You have to begin using everything that's available to you in Christ to retemper your mind. Philippians 4.8, one of my favorite verses, one of the first verses as a Christian that I actually memorized in the Bible. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent and worthy of praise, Think on these things, and the God of peace will be with you. It matters what we think about. If you want to walk in peace, you're going to have to think on the things that are good and pure and honorable and lovely, of good repute, as the New American Standard says it. M stands for making a decision to change your exposure. I stands for increasing your Bible input. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful in one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our sin, correcting our mistakes, training us to live in godliness. Through the Word, we are put together and shaped up for the tasks that God has for us, for the things that he would desire us to do, the things that bring life into our life. If you want to have the mind of Jesus, if you want rivers of living water to start flowing through your mind, then start putting more Bible into your mind. Start filling your mind with God's thought, with kingdom thoughts. You don't have you know, time to sit down and read for an hour each day? Buy the Bible on CD and put it on so that you can listen to it. Just get it in your mind. That's the idea. It will help you to begin to experience more of the flow of the Spirit. Join a Bible study. There are a few around. Men have one on Wednesday. Women have one on Tuesday nights. Join a Bible study. Get more of the Bible into you. N stands for now soak. Soak in that input. Don't just read your Bible and get through the pages kind of thing. Soak it in. The Bible calls this meditation. Start meditating. Start soaking yourself in God's Word. Immerse yourself in His truth. Psalm 1, this is a different translation. It's not the one that, that may be in your NIV. It's, it says, happy are those who don't listen to the wicked who don't go where sinners go, who don't do what evil people do. They love the Lord's teachings, and they think about those teachings day and night. They are like strong trees planted by a river. The tree produces fruit in its season, and its leaves do not die. Everything they do will succeed. You want to have a life of abundance, which is really how God defines success, if you want to have a life of abundance, start putting the Word of God into your heart and mind. Don't just read it. 
Meditate on it. Think about it. Chew it over and over again until it takes root in your thinking. That is what meditation is. It's a focused thinking on the things of the Spirit. It is a life pursuing the things of the Spirit. Last thing, the D for mind. Determine. Determine in your heart to tune in to God. We need to learn how to hear the voice of God. We need to figure out how to hear his voice above every other voice that's calling out to us. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. You know how sheep work, right? They recognize the voice of the shepherd. And if somebody else calls, they will not follow. We need to be so in tune with the voice of God that we don't listen to the voice of the enemy, to the voice of the world. We need to tune in to the one who's supposed to lead us and guide us. When we do that, then we can experience and enjoy the flow of the river. It's really important, learning to hear God. I believe that the most important thing beyond any other thing, I said at the beginning uh, uh, when I started, is the presence of God in our lives. But you won't experience the presence without understanding what it sounds like. You have to be able to hear. How do you get to a place where you can hear? You can get to a place where you can hear by doing the first part of the mind thing, okay? By putting more of God, more of the Word into your heart and mind. You'll begin to speak through that. Remember, hearing God is not difficult, okay? You can hear God through a feeling that you get. He can just prompt you to move in a particular direction. You can hear God audibly. Some people do. It's happened to me a few times in my life. It's not probably the most uh, prolific way that God speaks, but he does speak that way every once in a while. You'll just hear him speaking in your head. I I love the way my wife kind of describes it in her life. When God, she knows God's speaking to her when God is using her her name because she wouldn't call herself by her own name. She wouldn't have had that thought. So it's very easy to recognize when it's God speaking to her. You can have thoughts like that as well. Sometimes it'll be one another. I love this about the whole body of Christ. You know, we are given to one another. And part of that giving to one another is that we would help one another connect with God, the body of Christ connecting to the head, which is Jesus. So, you're wanting to know if that was really the voice of God, check that out. Run it, run it past believers that you trust, believers that you trust the Spirit in, and, and see. Because, you know, if, if you hear something and you're maybe not sure about it, and I think it's always good to check it out with somebody else. But here's the deal. If you want to walk in the Spirit, if you want to have that flow running through you, you have to begin to take steps in that direction. Not taking any steps will not get you anywhere because this one really is on us, folks. The Spirit is always there. The Spirit is always flowing. The Spirit is always available. God has made himself available. It's up to us to jump in the river. It's up to us to connect with that because he's already provided. It's like holding it out, wanting to dump it on you, okay, and you, you won't stand still long enough for him to hit you, okay? 
the idea is God has done his part. He's just waiting for us to respond to that. Now, you responded once when you accepted Jesus. Respond again and again and again and again. That's how you stay wet. I'm not saying you're not going to have moments of doubt, moments of hard stuff, okay? We all do that. I certainly do. But you can respond again and again, and you can get wet again and again. Does that make sense? You can live a life in the Spirit. It's available. In fact, it's pretty much mandatory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you've provided everything that we need for life and godliness. Everything. We lack no good thing. If we want the abundant life, all we have to do is step into the river. That's the promise. It's available. Father God, move our hearts to do just that. To set aside the other thoughts set aside the negativity, to set aside the failures, to set aside all the things that would draw us into a place that isn't healthy and allow us just to jump in the river and enjoy the goodness that being connected to you always brings in our life. Father God, thank you. Jesus, you're just amazing. And Holy Spirit, wow. You're always there for us. Help us to take advantage of all that Jesus died to give us so that we might live life in the Spirit, life that is abundant. Amen? Amen. Amen.